All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following. We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. In the news stories, with what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy-to-prepare food. Order today, 888-457-3453, 888-457-3453, or go online at preparewithcr.com. That's prepare preparewithcr.com. Build your emergency food supply for only $99. Limit two units per caller, 888-457-3453, or online at preparewithcr.com. That's 888-457-3453, or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Monday here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. We are underway. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Let us know via the SteveDace.com inbox. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We'll get you caught up here on some weekend news and views coming up in the next 15 minutes. Also, next hour, we're going to get you primed and ready and informed as possible, even though some of you just are going to hate me for it. But we're going to do our best to create an informed populace here on this show. I'm just a big believer you're going to have a hard time sustaining any semblance of self-government. Let me rephrase that. You're going to have a hard time reinstating any semblance of self-government if we're not an informed populace. So we're going to we're going to take a look at this election, which takes place a week from tomorrow. Mercifully. And we're going to get the prime. We're going to get the pump primed. Everything you've needed to know about this election. But we're afraid to ask. And we're going to do this in roundtable fashion coming up in the next hour of the show. But I want to begin with with what I think has been 
an intriguing response. And more than I expected from the left in response to the letter from FBI Director James Comey that was released on Friday that we spent a good deal of the show talking about. And I have to say, I am surprised at the level of vitriol that has been directed Comey's way by the Clintonistas. I I think it's been over the top. I think the reaction's been over the top. And, And here's a couple reasons why. Number one, These are the Clinton-Joe scandal is a state of being. And it has been for more than a quarter century for these people. In the last quarter century, they have been front and center in our body politic. And over the course of that time, when has there not been some scandal associated with these folks? And it's never, but it's never stopped them from winning anything ever before. Never. So I, I, I would have expected more of the, this, they got nothing on me. Much more than the meltdown that we have seen. Secondly, prior to Friday's announcement, they were more than comfortably ahead by any objective measure. Heck, I still don't think Trump has much of a path to 270. We'll talk about that next hour. So, so what's the purpose of the of the instant meltdown? Because to me, I think it shows panic. I don't think it does anything to reassure voters this is a nothing burger. Now, this leads me to draw one of four conclusions. Let me get the first one out of the way. One thing I learned, or I have learned, being on MSNBC as many times as I have been in the last five years, is you really get an idea of how the other side operates, because that's one of their main bases of operation, right? And so one of the things I learned being on MSNBC during the 2012 election, when we had war on women, war on this, war on that, war on everything, war on everything, just war. One of the things I learned is the reason they do this is this is how their base responds. Their, Their base responds to crises, manufactured or otherwise, that, that this is sort of a dog whistle that only their, a frequency only their base can hear. And so everything is the end of the world, cats and dogs living together, everything. And I say this as a talk show host who's been known to use maybe some alarmist language in the past, but, but I mean, this is, this is normalcy to these people. So it maybe I know they were paranoid a few uh, prior to the Comey announcement that they were peaking too early, that they were going to be complacent, that it looked too easy, that like they, they had this thing in the bag. So I, it, I, I, it's possible maybe they are using this, especially when I see clips of Paul Bagala on CNN tonight talking about, you know, Hillary now knows what it feels like to be black and worked over by the cops. OK, I, I mean, it is possible. I'm shameless. Yes. It is possible that this is an attempt to sort of, you know, like a coach when his team's ahead at halftime and he and and they're, and they're way ahead and they walk off the field and he's like, well, we punted on that one, you know, we screwed up that one, and you're like, you know, what? He's just trying to go in there and avoid his team from coming out complacent in the second half. That's possible. Here's another couple of things. Hillary just may not be as slick of a politician as her husband was, and, and I think we already knew this. There's been 
ample resp- ample evidence for this and and the way that they are responding here over the top just sort of reinforces that meaning she's not capable of sort of the pay no mind brush it off and just stick to your message sort of thing like her husband was another possibility something in those emails could destabilize the structure of this race now i i'm i'll be shocked if anything out of this FBI investigation is is noted by by Comey or any authority at the FBI before next Tuesday, I'll, I'll be stunned. But on the off chance that's possible, maybe there's something in those emails that could fundamentally alter the structure of the race. We had something come out in one of those emails earlier today that fundamentally altered the structure of Donna Brazil's pay scale. We'll talk about that here in a few minutes. This next option, though, is my main is my is 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 the theory I'm going with. I think any of the three I just mentioned are plausible to a varying degree. But this is the one I think is really driving this. If it's true that we're unlikely to hear anything from Comey until after the election. You're still talking about an election Hillary is favored to win. And and she would go in as the least liked president of all time. And now you're talking about beginning it now with a whole new scandal. This would threaten to destabilize her presidency almost before it got started. I, I mean, she would effectively be a caretaker president. She'd be on the defensive on every front. Because you'd see Democrats heading into the midterms now taking a look at that and begin to start, you know, I got I got to go for mine because you went for yours. I, I, you know, so we got you over the finish line in November eighth. Now it's about me getting over the finish line in November of twenty eighteen. So have a nice life. You got to shatter the glass ceiling, and now I got to protect myself before I wreck myself. Okay, I think that's now my my favorite theory is that one. They are paranoid about this all but destabilizing a potential Hillary presidency. And she becomes barely a caretaker president. No honeymoon whatsoever. And let's face it, I don't know how much how much more damage to her persona, her credibility could take. And if she wasn't running against someone the majority of Americans thought was crazy, regardless of their positions on the issues, if they were moderate or, or ultra conservative, I think they'd be beating her soundly right now. And then again, guys, it could be all of the above. So what do you think, gentlemen, Todd, what do you think? I don't think you're wrong about the consequences of what it would do to her presidency, but I think it's more that they are worried about the government for boxes that they thought they had checked and all the legwork they've done. We know from WikiLeaks, more harder than ever before, uh, working to get Trump through the press as their competition and trying to keep Hillary from killing herself by keeping her off to the side. I mean, how many times did you mention for weeks, if not months on end, where's Hillary? Are we talking about Hillary? Mm -hmm. They've gotten this far and now there's rogue elements within the government who are supposed to know their place and are now getting out of line. I I think that's 
what's kind of driving them nuts. I mean, they, they this is. I mean, our- they're concerned that because they don't, they think Republicans are a speed bump. They know they own the media, right? Right. Exactly. They, so they know. So even if Republicans can maintain control of Congress, they know Paul Ryan is not shutting the government down to go toe to toe, nose to nose with Hillary Clinton. Yes. Right? And this is they own the courts. Period. Doesn't matter what exactly. does. They own that. They own the media. So this is the last. So the so the the FBI is the one remaining outpost of potential check and balance against them. Is that what you're thinking? And this is why you focus so heavily on how interesting it was that the this internal friction within the FBI and where are, they, are there finally people of integrity in the government? It's like in the Die Hard. You you want uh, something to happen? I give you the FBI. I. That's kind of where where I was going with this as well. This is kind of where my thought process was, that it was less about Comey just kind of uh, taking care of and looking out for number one. This was maybe a message by the FBI to a potential Clinton administration. Um, we're, we're not going to be used. We're not going to be your tools. I hope that's true. I'd like it to be. Yeah, hope. I just, I've got 25 years of experience here with the Clintons you don't have yet, Aaron. My last bit so, of hope, so, Steve. So I hope Come you're on. right that the, the hope's not real high. You're listening to Steve Dace. If you're part of the problem, don't bother getting out of the way. Stay right there, and we'll run over you. This is Steve Dace. All right, let's get back to it. Some weekend news and views, getting you caught up on the news you may have missed over the weekend. And Aaron, the first headline is... Really, our first official... Is this the first official WikiLeaks casualty that we know of? I think... Yeah, I think so, actually, now that you mention it. I I, I can't recall anybody else who's uh, actually lost their job or been uh, dismissed because of something out of these emails. CNN said this morning um, that it's cut ties with the Democrat strategist Donna de Brazil after hacked emails show that she shared questions for CNN-sponsored candidate events with friends on Hillary Clinton's campaign. Ms. Brazil, a a veteran political analyst for the network, had temporarily left CNN in July when when she became uh, interim chairwoman of the Democratic National Committee. CNN said that it accepted her formal resignation on October 14th. Uh, Let's see, Lauren uh, Protapas, uh, she is a network spokeswoman. Uh, She said, quote, we are completely uncomfortable with what we have learned about her interactions with the Clinton campaign while she was a CNN contributor. In that statement, uh, the spokeswoman went on to say, CNN, quote, never gave Brazil access to any questions, prep material, attendee lists, background information, or meetings in advance of a town hall or debate. The network's announcement came shortly after a new batch of hacked emails released by WikiLeaks this morning revealed a note from Ms. Brazil sent on March 5th, a day before a CNN-sponsored debate in Flint, Michigan, with the subject line, One of the questions directed to HRC tomorrow is from a woman with a rash. The email read, Her family has lead poisoning, (laughs) and she will ask what, if anything, will Hillary do as president to help the people of Flint? 
That was in an email to John Podesta, Clinton campaign chairman, and Jennifer Palmieri, the candidate's communications director. At the debate the next night, the two women asked similar questions of Mrs. Clinton and her opponent, then-opponent Bernie Sanders. To me, this is not the story of this story. What I think we deserve to know is how Donna Brazil got these questions. That's the story. The, the, the story is not that a network hired the former head of the Democratic Party to be an analyst and then was shocked to find out she was feeding Democrats pregame film. Okay? I mean, that's like... Florida man, um, Florida man has has uh, an aquarium full of scorpions. Shocked, he was stung. Okay, I mean, what did you think was going to happen? I mean, you guys ever seen the Mint movie? Yes. Where where they're literally inside a Romney's Romney's war room on election night, twenty twelve. Carl Rove is on stage on Fox all night as an analyst, and he's literally calling the Romney people with advice on how to proceed on election night while he's an analyst for Fox. I remember saying at the time, hey, if the situation was reversed, we ever found out this is going, this sort of hanky-panky was going on on a liberal network? Well, here it is. Here it is, right? But the issue really isn't that Karl Rove was essentially um, advising the Romney campaign while being a quote-unquote contributor on Fox any more than it was Donna Brazil was feeding her, her Democrat buddies the questions in advance while working for CNN. That's the fault of those two networks. As far as I'm concerned, if, you're an ombud, if, you, if you got the job as an ombudsman for any of these cable news networks, you suck at your job, okay? And for people that don't know, an ombudsman is essentially the one who is supposed to make sure that ethics standards are... are, are you know, upheld in a newsroom. So I don't think it's, it's it, to me, it's not a story that networks were dumb enough to hire partisans who are active leaders in their respective parties as, as contributors and then found out that they were funneling information to their buddies. I mean, CNN's been playing Corey Lewandowski all this, all this time while he was still getting paid by the Trump campaign, by the way. The story here to me, Todd, is how did she get these questions? Who fed the questions to Donna Brazil? That is the story that needs to be investigated, if you ask me. I absolutely agree. Here's the problem. The opinion of the press is already so painfully low. Before this election cycle, it was down there with Congress. Yet That's low. And that's very low. That's like eight ninth ring of hell, Dante's Inferno yes. low. Yeah. And the right uh, on on the left in part, but it's that while the opinion is that low, then you'd think the rest of us wouldn't have ended up with this spoon-fed election by the press, Hillary versus Trump. Yet we got it nonetheless. So that opinion clearly isn't worth a hill of beans. My point being, you're exactly right, but are we going to get the answer? And even if we do, is it going to matter? This press, on some level, it, 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 it seems to be bulletproof. As you've said before, there's the, the viewership in cable news is dwarfed by a, a lot of different things, so you need to keep it in context. But nonetheless, to the degree that it has any power at all, 
it it seems like th- that this is something ultimately that isn't going to make a dent. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, this this spokesman woman that I um, uh, quoted a couple minutes ago uh, from CNN said that uh, CNN never gave Brazil access to any questions prep material. How did Andy? she get them? Uh, yeah, why? They are, why freaking are th- did? How did, are they? Are they insinuating that she hacked uh, with the help of uh, Julian? I don't. It's it just it's lies are, on top w- of. W- lies. Wouldn't CNN be remotely curious how she obtained these questions? Right. When they want to know where those questions came from, I mean that that is proprietary information. By the way, the 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 ratings that the CNN received for doing Republican debates this cycle in the primary. How, remember those debates had twenty twenty five million people watching. Well, if you don't invest, if, if if you lose credibility here, what's to stop the Republican Party next time? If it, next time when it has an open contest again, from saying we're just not going to have CNN host a debate. Nothing. You Nothing. know they already think they've done their due diligence by firing her. And if you ask them the question, well, yeah, point blank, like you're asking, them, they're going to pull a Hillary Clinton. At this point, what difference does it make? You know, it doesn't make. And here's if if you had a real RNC here with the answer, you're right. To us, it doesn't make much of a difference. But it's going to make a big difference to you when your happy ass doesn't have 15 to 20 million people watching a Republican debate in 2020. How you like me now? Thank you. That's the difference it makes. Thanks. But we're that, that, if you had a real Republican Party, that's what they would do. Yeah, but we're uh, too uh, concerned about uh, focusing on how to punish those who didn't jo- board, uh, or board the Trump train in time. That, that's what we're going to focus our attention on, Steve, over at the RNC, because that makes, that makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. I think, and I think, I, I just think in general... We just all may have to come to a conclusion that because of the personality-driven angle to cable news networks, that they're basically just, this is just flat-out advocacy on each side. Yeah. And we should just own up to it, and they should just own up to it as well. And and everybody, we're all. And let's just be adults about this. Let's stop lying to each other. Let's stop pretending that this is anything other than if you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with, right? That this is the journalistic equivalent of a key party in the '70s, where everybody just grabs their car keys at the end and goes home with somebody. Let's just be honest. There's uh, nothing noble happening here on either side, and let's just be honest about it. No chances. People right now saying the CNN is biased against Hillary. You're listening to Steve Dace. Beating liberals is important, but more important, who you beat them with. This is Steve Dace. All right, more headlines from over the weekend. So, Aaron, it appears the FBI is going to be busy for quite some time. That is correct. Let's quickly reset um, this this entire uh, latest development in the Hillary Clinton email saga. A few facts here for you. There are 650,000 more emails the FBI believes are pertinent to the Clinton investigation. These emails were discovered on a laptop investigators believe was used by former Congressman Anthony Weiner. The FBI is feuding internally. Investigators wanted to begin a parallel investigation into the Clinton Foundation to determine if donors were given special access and favors. More on that in a little bit. Uh, The Obama Justice Department is and was playing defense for the Clintons. FBI officials reportedly presented their evidence to the Justice Department in February, but the DOJ tried to shut down the investigation. 
And I think, as you mentioned earlier, this isn't going to be resolved uh, probably before the election because these emails were found in a different case. The FBI has to get a search warrant if they've not already done that, which takes a little bit of extra time as well. So back to what I just uh, mentioned, the Wall Street Journal citing people familiar with the matter reported on Sunday that senior law enforcement officials voiced skepticism several times of the strength, uh, strength of the Bureau's investigation into the Clinton Foundation, looked to condense the effort uh, put the, to put the probe and even told uh, I- agents to limit their pursuit of the case. The FBI initially started their investigation into the Clinton Foundation to determine whether financial crimes or influence peddling occurred related to the charity. According to the paper, some investigators grew frustrated with the case and viewed some of the FBI leaders as uninterested. Some others involved in the case disagreed, saying the FBI's second-in-command, Andrew McCabe, was in a fight for control between the Justice Department and the FBI's probing foundation. So that's where the story about internal feuding at the FBI comes from. And then this morning, Steve, the FBI, it was announced, has been uh, conducting a preliminary inquiry into Donald Trump's former campaign manager, Paul Manafort's foreign business connections. Word of the inquiry, which has not blossomed into a full-blown criminal investigation, comes, as I said, just uh, days before all of this with the FBI Director James Comey's disclosure. And it comes a day after Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid criticized Comey's revelation and asserted that Comey possesses, quote, explosive information about close ties and coordination between Donald Trump, his top advisors, and the Russian government. Uh, uh, the Manafort thing strikes me as what we call in the uh, sports biz a makeup call. Mm-hmm. You know, when uh, when the refs knew they blew one, and so they're like, we'll get you the next go around, right? Because what's going on now with Hillary is what should have happened months ago. Should This is, this is what should have gone down months ago. The Manafort thing, it's November 1st tomorrow. And the FBI is like, we should check out, you know, if it's suspicious that a guy that ran a U.S. presidential campaign for six months used to work directly for Vladimir Putin. Anybody? I got some free time. I'll look at it. I mean, wh- <laughs> why wasn't this looked at in March, April, May, June, July, August? Why look at it now? Oh, I know. Because we're getting raked over the coals for this all weekend long, and and it's nearly co- it's nearly winter solstice cocktail party season, guys, and we're we're not on the invite list this year, and that's going to really tick off the wife. So somebody quick concoct a make good. These are all things that could, I, I you know James Jordan, the uh, congressman Republican, well respected congressman Republican congressman from Ohio, said that he thought Comey made a terrible decision in doing this. I agree with him, although maybe not for the reasons that maybe Mr. Jordan is articulating. It's because this has just completely been mismanaged. This is what should have been done months ago. And if he would have, if he would have came out there in May when he had the original press conference and said, that's why we're going to delve further into this, there was still almost two and a half months to the Democratic convention Time for something to be done if indeed something was found. They punted. And now they're literally just making this up as they go along now. 
And now we're going to throw it. Let's throw Paul Monaford in, too, to get you guys off our... This is political... This is like, Todd, one of those blue ribbon panels gets together to fix some major legislation, and they come out with a solution that's bipartisan, which means everyone will hate it. And so it's meant to equally offend everybody's core constituency so nobody's held politically accountable to for it. This is not how to conduct the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Todd. This is, this is a hot mess, as the kids say today. No, the, the spin on that, though, is that there are hopefully some good folks in the FBI who have had enough with that. These are dangerous times, indeed. If you have civil war within the FBI, but it's the kind of danger we need. Finally, some people who can't and won't be controlled. Again, we don't know if that's the case, but we certainly hope that's the case. It's absolutely what we need. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. It goes back to what we kind of opened the show with. I mean, that's kind of... That's hope right now, but um, as you mentioned, Steve, uh, you, you guys have uh, a lot of experience I mean, with here, how the, here, the he, Clinton's he, role. Here's where we're at. Hillary is facing a renewed probe into her emails, and now the FBI is investigating her foundation. Mm-hmm. Trump's facing trials for fraud and, tri- and child rape after the election, and now the FBI is investigating his former campaign manager, Paul Manafort. Everybody, well done, America. I mean, this, I don't see how this could have gone any better. Money. You're listening to Steve Dace. We're not trying to win the argument. We're trying to start one. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. Let's get you caught up on some more headlines from over the weekend. And I suppose, Aaron, at some point we should recognize it is Halloween, which has become America's second most favorite holiday behind Christmas. That is true. And, of course, everybody does, uh, well, everybody who celebrates uh, Halloween dresses up in costumes. That's no secret. But one costume worn by one Hillary Duff outraged a lot of people. You know, you guys know who Hillary Duff is. She's an actress. Uh, she was I she on the she, Disney Channel? Yeah, she was on the Disney Channel. I think it was Lizzie McGuire. That was uh, really popular when I was a, a wee lad. Anyway, uh, she um, and her boyfriend, Jason Walsh, uh, caused controversy on Friday when they showed up to a uh, Halloween party in Beverly Hills dressed as a pilgrim and a Native American, respectively. Uh, Duff. So they were dressed up as the Thanksgiving story? Yeah. Uh, Duff had to tweet out an apology after a photo of the pair got out on social media. She had to apologize for celebrating Thanksgiving? I'm so sorry to people I offended with my costume. It was not properly thought through, and I am truly, from the bottom of my heart, sorry. (laughs) Um, Her uh, boyfriend, Walsh, also... Uh, tweeted out an, or Instagrammed an apology as well. I just thought this was an interesting juxtaposition because Eric Erickson uh, wrote a piece today over at the Resurgent as well, called the horrification of Halloween, where he expressed his uh, displeasure at uh, taking his daughters to go buy Halloween costumes if they want to dress up as a as a superhero or heroine. Uh, well, there's no costumes that are the right size for them. But if they want to uh, dress up like prostitutes, as uh, Erickson put it, uh, there's plenty of those costumes <laughs> available. 
So, an irrelevant former Disney celebrity caused a furor on social media for going to a costume party with her boyfriend dressed as the first Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Is that the story, guys? Yeah. The, the, the term you're searching for is smod. And yes. I don't know what more we must do to show smod how deserving we are of his deliverance. I mean, dressing up as, 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 as the Thanksgiving story is a trigger warning now? Can you, can you, why is that? Do you know why? Oh, it's offensive to uh, Native Americans because it shows how the white people were imperialistic and took over lands and killed people and something, something, something. So a, bu- a, a, bunch, of, a bunch of white liberals mm-hmm. enjoying the fruits of Western civilization, uh, yep. including social media, the ability to even afford costumes, mm-hmm. things of that nature. You see where I'm going with this? I mean, at what level... Does the self-loathing know no bounds with these people? Why should it? Oh, that's why when we look back, the year in review, the, one of the terms. <laughs> cultural approbation. Yeah. This is the big one. I mean, there was a chef on a cooking channel who got in trouble because he was white and he was cooking, I believe it was um, Thai food. And he's not allowed to do that. So we've gone from where you're supposed to appreciate diversity, welcome diversity, to you 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 aren't supposed to practice it at all. You're sh- you're literally supposed to remain the de- the white guy in the corner with the dunce cap, while we do whatever we do over here. I, I so the, the, so now the razor's edge it, between approving of what they do, accepting what they do, and taking a leak on it. I don't know so, where so to go. The racist thing now is. For the white, uh, for Mister White Privilege to acknowledge the contributions of minorities, you see the that that that's that's, that, that's racist now. Yeah, that's the most confusing, self-contradictory message since two weeks ago on si- this week's sign of the apocalypse, or when they- or, or the Trump campaign yeah. saying their entire get out the vote effort is based off a bunch of angry, skeptical white voters who don't show up typically to the polls, who they are by the way telling them before the election that the whole thing's rigged. So your your get out the vote your get out the vote effort is telling people who don't typically feel compelled to take part in the process that their vote won't matter and the outcome is rigged even if they do. That's your get out the vote message. I think that's a damnable message, but we'll see what happens. See you know a week from now if it works. And now the the diversity mantra is if you acknowledge the contributions of non-whiteies, you're a racist. Yeah, it makes a whole lot of not sense. It, nothing makes sense anymore. I mean, this Do they is, just want us to off ourselves? Is that what they're looking for? I think they'd say that's a start. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that that's probably what's the what finish? Didn't you hear somebody had what, uh, Planned Parenthood? No, it was a uh, New York Times, wasn't it? Some reporter who said that Pence should pre- been preemptively aborted. Yeah. So yes, the answer is yes, Steve. Yeah, and uh, I mean this is. Postmodernism, nihilism, 
always uh, works its way down into uh, devolving into absurdism. As I said, nothing, nothing makes sense anymore. Up is down, down is up. And uh, Steve, when you ask what more we must do to tempt the fate of Smod, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure we will find out at some point with when the is, way this year is going. When is this finally captured by, in the moment, as you know, fiddled while Rome burns? I mean, when do we? What is the, the crescendo of this madness? We've got to be getting close, don't we? I mean, how many times have we asked that question? I know. How many times? Here's the issue. Without a moral standard, where does the gumption to say no to it come from? Do you know? Where, where, does, where, where does the basis to refuse it come from? Where, where does, the, where does the, the, the moral conviction to say no to it come from? The, 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 the conviction that says, I'll take the grief for opposing you, where does that come from? Tell me where that comes from without an, without a, a, an absolute a moral absolute standard. Where does it come from? It doesn't. It, it might come from the person staring you in the mirror in the morning, but that person's what they believe uh, may change from day to day. There is, and so that's there. There is no moral baseline. This uh, is why that's exactly that, that is part. exactly right. Which is why I have said a culture that is capable of correcting itself against these sorts yeah. of, of tomfooleries probably wouldn't have permitted them in the first place. And instead, when I ask the question that's asked, you don't get an answer, you just get a doubling down on insanity. Yes. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. <laughs> Declaration of Dependence on the Laws of Nature and Nature's God. This is Steve Dace. Chances are your current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your values, and that's why Patriot Mobile was created. To give conservatives like us a chance to put our money where our values are. And support a company that will invest our valuable resources right back into our values. Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talk and texting, high-speed 4G LTE data at competitive prices, and they'll donate up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization of your choice. So you're going to get the same quality service, the latest and greatest phones, competitive prices, but for for the causes that you believe in. So go to PatriotMobile.com, that's PatriotMobile.com, or call 1-800-A-PATRIOT. That's 1-800-A-PATRIOT. And when you decide to make the switch, use the promo code STEVE to get the $35 activation fee waived on up to two phones. Again, that's 1-800-A-PATRIOT or PatriotMobile.com. All right, gentlemen, next hour, we're going to do a deep dive into the 2016 election. Because even though I was reminded on our Facebook wall again over the weekend, there are scores of people that don't want to be informed. That, that want to believe the only things that are true are what make itching ears itch. That they want to be children. We, we can't possibly process any information that doesn't tell us what we want to hear. I'm just not making a career out of that. And if that means... 
my career ends up we remain the 60th uh, ranked talk show at 9 o'clock at night, so be it. I'll live with it. Or no talk show at all. I'll be okay with that, too. I, I'm just... I'm I'm not in this to be the uh, Pravda for nitwits. So if you're serious about self-government, if you're serious about being an informed citizen, we're going to go through the map. We're going to go in terms of the center races, also the presidential race. We're going to look at historical presidential polling, how accurate has it really been. Uh, we're going to try to answer as many questions as we think you might have so that you are ready to go for this final week. You guys ready to do this? Absolutely. Um, As, you know, depressing as uh, everything that has gone on with this election, it is still an extremely uh, interesting uh, point in our nation's history, at least politically. So many moving parts, especially with the dynamic between the top of the ticket for the Republican Party and what's happening for the rest of the ticket, and I'm sure we'll get into that quite a bit uh, coming up in hour two. I seek deliverance, so my bar is high. Bring it. We're going to do our best. Everything you've ever needed to know about the election and we're afraid to ask is next. Stay tuned. Listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Government should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here with Hour 2 of the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Please let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. So we're going to take this hour of the program and we're going to do a deep dive into the 2016 election. And we're going to talk about where I think the race stands and why we're going to go over the presidential map. We're going to look at the Senate map, etc. And uh, I want to begin, though, by dealing with polling. Because there's two things that I've, I've, I've used throughout my career to, to make political predictions. And, you know, during the primary, we did pretty good. We were not always right, but I'd take our record up against just about anybody else's. 2012... We were pretty good in that election, predicting Obama would win. Although I thought that Romney had a chance to win the Electoral College. But that Obama, or I'm sorry, that Romney win the popular vote, but Obama would win the Electoral College. Because I thought the, the margins against Obama in deeply red states, I thought there was an enthusiasm gap between us and them. So I thought that uh, the margins against Obama in deeply red states would be so overwhelming that I thought Romney could win the popular vote, and you saw that in the in the 
in the RCP average, Obama's lead in the final RCP average was less than a point. But Romney ended up getting, ironically, 47% of the vote. <laughs> okay. Um, the predictions we made for the Washington Times of the 2014 midterms, we missed it by one Senate seat. We thought the Republicans would win nine seats. We'd see a nine-seat swing. We saw a 10-seat swing. So we missed it by one seat. So, I, I mean, my record predicting Iowa caucuses, really good. That's why I'm often on talking about that. In fact, this past year, we got the top three finishers in order and we missed it, by, and we missed the, the the percentages of first and second place by like a percentage point. Okay, so how do I do this? One, I remove as much emotion as I possibly can from the process, understanding that I can't remove it all because I'm human, not Vulcan. Two, I try to look at it as if I didn't care who won and or if I had a viewpoint opposite mine, how would I approach this data? try to reason with it that way and then throw in my home team or hometown or personal bias and the truth is probably somewhere in the middle three is you have to look at you have to look at historical trends you have to look at what's happening on the ground four you can't just look at top lines of polls you got to look at the demographics because as i've been telling you all election the top line of a poll is what that's where the pollster actually makes their money the pollster doesn't make their money collecting the raw data. They, they make it with the top line, meaning here's what we think the data we collected. Here's what we think it means. That's how we interpret this raw data. So it's not to, just to, for further clarification, uh, the top line is not just uh, this is the percentage. Yeah, they counted up the little hash marks, right. and exactly. that's what they add. Yeah, no, no, that's not the way it works. Right. Okay. Um, that's their conclusion of what the data they've collected once they've weighted it. What does it mean that they've weighted it? It means they've weighted it based on what they believe the turnout model is going to be. And uh, do, do they do um, historical uh, precedents? A lot as well? of times, polls are done with the voter files off of the most recent election. Why? Because the number one predictor of who will vote in the next election is who voted in the last one. Well, Steve, but we had this high turnout in the Republican primary. Well, here's the problem with that. Many studies of that turnout have been done and actually found that it, a lot of it was not new voters. A lot of it was reliable Republican or Democratic voters who had not voted in Republican primaries before, but were reliable general election voters. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. The reason why that matters, here's why that matters, is because when you have higher than expected turnout in a given election cycle, those people are t- probably not showing up in the voter file from the previous election that you're polling off of. Now, that's how you upset a polling model is when that happens. Well, Steve, I thought Republicans did better in lower turnout elections. Republicans do well in midterm elections when there's lower turnout corporately. But still, they would like to see within a lower turnout election, higher turnout. Similarly, you look at the one primary upset we were able to pull in 2014 was Dave Brad over Eric Cantor. Higher turnout. A bunch of people got ticked off at the Republican Congress and took it out on Eric Cantor that didn't show up in polling surveys. 
Now, we have documented on this show previously when polls have been right and when they've been wrong. We talked last week. And I'm not going to go over this again, unless you guys think I need to when, we, when I throw it to the Q&A section of the, of the, of the broadcast. We, we've talked, we talked previously about misnomers that not know the polls were not all wrong on Brexit, for example. The, and Brexit was a different continent, and a referendum is a different election than a candidate election. In a referendum, you're not asking me to see something with a partisan lens. You're asking me up and down what I think about an issue. I mean, comparing how a referendum was polled to a candidate election is like saying that a drama is the same as a science fiction film. Well, they're both movies, and that's where the similarities end. So they're both movies, but but they're not the same kind of movie. You can't really compare. One's going to have a much bigger special effects budget than the other, for example. One will have Meryl Streep and the other will not. <laughs> All right? So it's either or versus yes, no. Yes, exactly. Todd. All that being said, you know I'm fond of the phrase, uh, the status quo is the status quo until it isn't anymore. Sure. Back during the primaries, there was a pollster of some repute, if memory serves, that flat out came out and said... We may not have the ability to accurately gauge this poll. Do you remember this? Gallup Gallup did that for the primary polling, yes. With that in mind, what are the odds, based on everything you said so far, that something like that could be the case here with this election? That, that, That whether we know it or not, whether people are copying to it or not, we've lost our ability through cell phones, through methodology, through whatever, that we just aren't going to get this one even closer. Well, I'm glad right. you asked about the methodology because, you know, you see polling that, that's strictly landline only polling. That's like Emerson College's poll. Or you see polling that is strictly online polling like YouGov. All right. Now, I would not outright dismiss those polls, but understand they're going to have a limitation window because they're only polling people that are online. So their demo is going to skew younger. Or if they're only polling people that have landlines, that means their demo is going to skew older, older. Okay, so I, I wouldn't outright dismiss those things, but this is why I collect data from a lot of different sources, because the trend is your friend. The more data, the better. Trends, averages, wisdom is in a multi- found in a multitude of counsel. Some polls are better than others, but there is no golden ticket in this industry. That's why the more data you have, the more accurate of a snapshot you will get. The, now, what are the chances that what you're describing... Um, Which is basically thermonuclear by the standards of this industry. Right. Yes. I would say 25%. That high? Which would be the odds I would give that Trump could win. Really? And, and the reason... Whoa. Now I, would have, now, I would have told you on Friday his odds of winning might be 15 at best. So the, those still aren't great odds, by the way. But the reason why I would say 25% is because... Everybody's talked about how much different this election is. It's not. The structure of this election has, f- has gone to form this entire time. It's just we are caught up in the personalities and the scandals. But as we have talked about till we're blue in the face in this show, who won the Republican primary? The, the oldest white guy. guy oldest white guy with the guy highest, with the highest name, name ID, ID, handpicked by the media that the had the most closest, moderate to liberal ideology. Closest ties to case. Hate yes. that show. All right. Who... Who wins every presidential election? Candidate with the highest favorables. Now, when the candidate with the highest favorables, though, has a 40% favorable, 
we're kind of in, I mean, you're in yeah. uncharted water where that's concerned. Okay? So when, the can- when we're talking a candidate with a 40% favorable vis-a-vis a candidate with a 35 or 30% favorable, now you're talking about is there a possibility that at the end something dramatic, and this may be one of the reasons why they overreacted to the Comey story, in the end something dramatic causes a group of people to say at the end, you know what, man, screw it. it, I'm not even voting. And then the whole thing is thrown off not likely because the science here as I'll point out when we come back is so good but that's where your 25% odds come from you're listening to Steve Dace selling out isn't a virtue this is Steve Dace All right, so let's look at historically presidential election polling. There is this notion that presidential election polling has been wrong. Except that's not true. In fact, you got to go back to Dewey versus Truman was the last time presidential election polling was way off. Well, Steve, what about the 2000 election? That was the exit polling. Right, the exit polling in the 2000 election that had George W. Bush winning by five points. That was the exit polling that was wrong, not the pre-election polling. So don't. And since the and since that 2000 election, the the media companies where they all actually work together, you don't have separate entities compiling their own exit polling data. A lot of times, they a lot of these networks work together to compile it. They spent a heck of a lot of money to try and correct that error after what happened in the 2000 election. So that was the exit polling. That was not actually the upfront polling. So keep that in mind. And is our attention pen just so short that we can't tell the difference between this polling and the polling that you talked about as phony baloney back in the primary? Do we just conflate that all the time? Yes, yeah. And we're at the stage now where we're just going to cherry pick. I'm just assuming that most people listening to our show like ours at this point aren't of the cherry pick talk radio listener variety that they've they're probably turned us off because we're making them sick to their stomachs so i'm just going to assume the bulk of the uh, and they'll return after november 8th i'm going to assume that if you're still listening to us at this point it's because you actually want to be informed regardless of whether you like our take on trump or not all right to me the real clear politics polling average is key why? Because it's a composite of the best data that is available. How good is it? Listen to this. In the final RCP polling average of 2004, George W. Bush was predicted to defeat John Kerry by 1.5 points. In the general election, George W. Bush beat John Kerry by 1.5 points. It's- That's nailing it. Yeah. In 2008, the final RCP polling average predicted Barack Obama to defeat John McCain by 7.6 points. Obama won by 7.3. That's nailing it. Right. Now, the poll has been wrong. It's been wrong in the past. 
In 2012, the final RCP polling average predicted Obama to beat Romney by 0.7 points. Obama won the election by 3.9 points. So the great irony here for the polls are rigged crowd is the only time the RCP average, because it doesn't go back to two, before 2004, the only time the RCP average didn't nail an election, and you can make an argument depending on what the MOE is, if you think the MOE is 3.5 points, 0.9 to 3.9 or 0.7 to 3.9 is within that is mm-hmm. within that range. So you're still within you're on the you're on the outskirts of the MOE, but you're still within that MOE. So the green irony for the polls or rigged crowd is on presidential elections. The only time the RCP average since its existence didn't nail an election is when it overestimated Romney support in 2012. There is um, one uh, one thing that I'd like to ask you about uh, as it pertains to the RCP poll, what it predicts, and then what the actual result is, because they're taking the most recent polls, and in these cases, it would be polls released on like November seventh of each of these cycles, correct? So, what what the polls are now uh, versus what they will be the day before the election? Is there any difference to be had there uh, as far as? Um, the validity of of trusting polls make your uh, question simpler for me to understand. I'm sorry. Uh, so these uh, this RCP polling average, uh, I believe you're citing the average as it was based on the polls released like the day before the election. The final average. The yes. final average. Yes. yes, and that's going to be that's likely going to be different than it is uh, you know two weeks or three weeks before the election does that negate any of the validity of those polls or does it just mean that the polls changed it just means that the polls changed okay i mean that there's an average and the the beauty of the rcp average is you can actually follow the graphic of where of where it was the entire time mm-hmm. so you can follow the trend line because i when i think i hear you asking me is did they just do a late correction to make themselves look like they knew what they were talking about? Is that what I hear you saying? No, it's just that uh, it seems like polls right up to the election will be more accurate than um, maybe more accurate to what the actual result is going to be than ones done two or well, three Well, that's because beforehand. a poll is a snapshot. Mm-hmm. A forecast is a model. Those are two totally different things. Understood. A poll is a forecast is, or is a snapshot, and a model is, a, is in the forca- a forecast is a model where it takes all these various trends and then forecasts, what does this mean? Does that make sense? Yep. So if I, a little bit, of, when, I watch the, when I watch the weather report, the satellite image is the pole. That is the snapshot of what's happening right now. And then what's gonna, what, what happens is your meteorologist will look at the last several days snapshots of satellite imagery. And then he'll look at atmosphere conditions and things like that. And then he will give you at the end of the report a forecast based on the models of those of, of that data does that make sense yeah absolutely and that uh, that sounds easy enough to understand but maybe that is a, an important distinction to make so. i mean if you look at i'm looking right now at the rcp average throughout the entire 2004 presidential election the entire graphic and the only time that this race was was considered outside of four or five points was right after the gop convention in 2004 and bush had an eight point lead Outside of that, I mean, on April 16th, 2004, the RCP average had George W. Bush 1.9. The election in November, on November 3rd of 2004, George W. Bush won by 1.5. Okay? So, yeah, over the course of the long sloth of an election, the trend will go up or down. 
you know, depending on what the snapshot of that day is. But when you're telling me that the poll, the polling they had on August or April 17th, seven months, six months, six and a half months before the election, almost mirrored exactly what the outcome was. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that accounts for there's up and down trends. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. It does. Okay. So, and, and what's fascinating about the RCP average this year is there is a poll that is really upsetting the average. And that is the LA Times tracking poll. Now, I read an exhaustive piece at 538 from back in August that was actually responding to Democrats complaining about the LA Times poll being biased towards Trump. And, and it was a very, I thought, a very objective analysis. So there were some things they liked about it, some things they didn't. But this is essentially a new polling methodology. So we'll wait and see what happens November 8th to see if these guys are onto something new or if they literally just, you know, uh, peed into the wind and you know what happens when you do that. So if you look at, if you look at, I think Hillary's lead in the RCP average before he came on the air tonight was 2.9 points. If you take out, if you take out the LA Times tracking poll, and just and, and put in the other 10 polls, or the last 10 polls of every other source other than the LA Times, her lead jumps to four and a half points. That may not seem like a lot to you, but when you're talking about an election of 130 million people, another point or two is a big difference in terms of how many millions of hearts and minds of voters you have to move nationwide. So that's something to watch. You're listening to Steve Dace. Surrender isn't a strategy. This is Steve Dace. All right, so everything you wanted to know about this election, but we're afraid to ask. Let's continue here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Let's go to my electoral college ratings. Right now, I have rated states rated, and these are in alphabetical order, as safe Democrat states. California, Connecticut, Delaware, District of Columbia, Hawaii, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, and Wisconsin. That's 231 Electoral College votes. Now, I would imagine that some of you have questions about why I would rate Michigan, Virginia, and Wisconsin in the safe category, not even put them in the leaning category. Two reasons why. Historical trends and also polling of the current snapshot. In Virginia, Trump has not led in any poll of this state there have only been five that I, polls I could find in the whole campaign that had Trump behind by fewer than five points. Also, it's a state that has two emerging demographics. Government workers, college-educated whites. Two groups Trump does not do well with. Wisconsin is a state Republicans have not won since 1988. Trump has led in no polls taken of that state the entire campaign. His favorables in that state are in the 30 percentile. 
And they were back in the primary when Cruz cleaned his clock, too, in that state. Michigan. Republican hasn't won that in the presidential election since 1988 as well. There's been no credible poll taken of Michigan this entire election that has Trump ahead. We had one that had Trump behind behind by only three points about three days ago. But now there's a new Detroit Free Press poll that has Hillary back up by six or seven points again today. So when you look at contemporary data and historical trends in the case of Michigan and Wisconsin, I see no evidence that he's a serious threat to win those states. When I look at the when I look at the data trend of this election, I see no evidence that he is a threat to win Virginia. That being said, if you wanted to tell me that if you wanted to argue with me that Michigan, Wisconsin, and Virginia belong in the lean Democratic category instead, okay, I I, I wouldn't presume to. I don't think that's a hill worthy of dying on. Any questions on those so far, gentlemen? No. Good. Todd, you, you're from Wisconsin. You think I'm um, giving the Democrats too much credit? No. I think the uh, people of Wisconsin, actually, I haven't lived there for a long time, but a combination of what and why they saw multiple times with Scott Walker and then the fact that they went uh, to bat so convincingly for Ted Cruz, it seems that it was about uh, clearly about uh, principles. Uh, and uh, not about personalities. So now that this election is strictly about a Republican candidate and personalities, it does make sense that Wisconsin would go in that direction. And we saw what happened to somebody who tried to channel Donald Trump's aura uh, in challenging Paul Ryan, and that would be uh, Paul Neal, and we saw what happened to him. Good point. All right, states I have leaning Democrat, Colorado, Maine, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Mexico, Pennsylvania. That's 51 electoral college votes. Now, why do I have these states leaning that way? Colorado, Trump has not led in a poll of that state since June. But there have been numerous polls of that state that have shown him within more of a striking distance than what we've seen in Virginia. Plus, it is historically more of a 50-50 state, although it's also a state with a surging Hispanic population. Maine, because that's a state that has trended well for Hillary the entire time, but it did just elect a Republican governor. Uh, Nevada, the early voting numbers for Hillary in Nevada are outpacing Obama. In fact, I was looking at a report for early voting numbers in, in, in Nevada that showed that even if Trump were on election day to win 90% of Republicans and beat independents by, by, or win independents by 20 points, the current trend line of early voting for Democrats in the state is so overwhelming, he'd still lose the state by a couple of Ouch. points. Uh, and if you take Nevada out of the equation, I don't know how you get to 270 with Trump. I mean, I don't know how you get to it with 270, but I mean, without it, I mean, you're trying to essentially, you're, you're trying to create you know, cold fusion. That's interesting because I know Pennsylvania is coming up next, but you used to say quite often, and I haven't heard you, forgive me if I'm forgetting, but I haven't heard you say in a long time that if it does, if Pennsylvania doesn't go Trump's way, forget everything yes. else we're talking about. We're, we're still there. We're still there. We're still there. The only reason I'm, the only reason I'm, I've got Pennsylvania in the lean instead of safe is because it is a state that does have in pockets a high white rural population that may not show up. Uh, and there is some evidence that overall black turnout for for Hillary may not be as high as it was for Obama, although she may get better Hispanic turnout. You're listening to Steve Dace. 
90% of the battles you refuse to fight. This is Steve Dace. There is a, um, oh, I should tell you, welcome back here to the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. At Steve Dace Show, we are continuing. Everything you needed to know about this election, but we're afraid to ask. There's a fascinating piece put out by 538 today looking at uh, early voting uh, trends and the latest polling around the country that shows Hillary is looks like she's going to exceed Obama's Hispanic turnout, but underperform his black turnout. Not Turnout meaning not percentages, but numbers. So where does that make a difference? Well, where are states where there's higher black uh, minority votes than Hispanics? Michigan. Pennsylvania. All right, so... There have been several polls taken of Pennsylvania in the last couple of weeks that have had Trump within striking distance in that state. So I'm going to be cautious, even though Pennsylvania has kind of been the fool's gold for Republicans since 88. I'm going to put that, though, in the lean Democratic category. New Hampshire, there was one poll that had Trump ahead, but it was a strict landline poll. Otherwise, pretty much he's been behind in New Hampshire all along. So I have Colorado, Maine, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Mexico, and Pennsylvania as lean Democrat states. That's 51 electoral college votes. So if Hillary just holds serve, doesn't add anything, that puts her at 282, 270 to win. Safe Republican, I have Alabama, Arkansas, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, West Virginia, and Wyoming. It's a lot of states. It's 89 electoral college votes. That 282 number. Yes. As a victory, where does that rank in terms of Slightly, average, low end? High? It would be a low end, low end win. It, it would be on par with, uh, you, you would, if, if she gets 282, that means nationally it's about a two-point election. Slightly better than what George W. Bush had in 2004 when he won the election by Ohio, one state. So somewhere in that neighborhood. Okay? that answer your question? Yes. All right. So definitely not a mandate. Uh, no. 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 Remember when I said in January she can't win the election because she could survive, survive it, it, depending on the yeah. Democrats? And that meant she well, survived it. Well, Trump okay? was doing hard to change that uh, these low these many months. Uh, here are the states I have leaning Republican. Alaska, which is a reliable state, but there have been now two different polls of Alaska over the weekend that had Hillary ahead. But the polling, this is a notoriously difficult state to poll. It's vast. It's got a wide-ranging, diverse population. So despite the, that data, I'm going to look at the historical trend, and I'm going to have a hard time believing she's going to win there. So I'll split the difference and put it in lean Republican. Georgia? where the party's internal polling a week and a half ago had Hillary behind, but or Hillary ahead, but the public polling has been good for Trump there in the last few days. Idaho, where I think there's an Evan McMullen factor there. Um, Indiana, which party internal polling a week and a half ago had Hillary ahead there too, but the public polling over the last week has been good there for Republicans. Missouri, where same situation. A week and a half ago, internal polling had Hillary ahead there. But public polling has now been good for Republicans in Missouri. Ohio, which is the one battleground state that has sort of been immune to Trump's dips. He has held steady there this whole election. And Texas. And I'm only going to put it in the lean because Democrats are doing well in the early voting there from what I have seen. 
And and we saw the University of Texas, Texas Tribune poll that came out over the weekend that had the race within the margin for error. And I cannot believe Hillary won Texas. But I could see I could see Trump only winning it by six or seven. Texas. Texas, yeah. Those lean Republican states are 100 electoral college votes, which means if Trump holds serve, that's 189 electoral college votes. Here are the states. I believe there are only really five toss-up states. Arizona, Iowa, Florida, North Carolina, and Utah. That's 67 electoral college votes. So even if Trump won every single one of those, and the reason we have Utah there is because Evan McMullen and Trump are essentially tied in the margin for error. And this trend's been going on for about a week now. And now you had Trump come out over the weekend and attack Evan McMullen by yep. name, which will actually help elevate his name ID. Yep. And, and, and did you hear what Trump said? Well, he's essentially going from coffee shop to coffee. In... They don't drink coffee, Don. Okay? I mean, that's just... Somebody feed him some better talking oh. points than that. I understand he's trying to say this. Evan McMullen's a podunk candidate. He's not serious. But don't say he's going from coffee shop to coffee shop in the Mormon state, okay? I mean, you gotta, you got to know the local color, Todd. I mean, that's just sloppy. You know what I'm saying? Sloppy. So best case scenario with McMullen combined with worst case scenario for, Phil- for Hillary based on everything we know now. What are the odds of this getting thrown to Congress because of all that? I was going to ask the same thing. Well, less than 10%. We, we don't even... Well, how is that different from what it was two weeks ago before we knew this news same, about Hillary? Same. So it's not changed it. Yeah, I don't think it's changed it. Now, I think you have to give this a few more days to percolate. We're just now beginning to get data in that's included this announcement. Plus, I think we all recognize that the minute there's any data that shows this is having some sort of transcendent effect, oppo dump. There's another Trump. There's we got, we got time for another Trump oppo dump. All right, I think or you, ten uh, or ten. So I, I think you have. Uh, here's here's the question I have, and I'll ask you guys: Show me the composite of the voter who was yeah. leaning Hillary. That right. this that suddenly they're like, um, I didn't know the Clintons lied. Right. To, to me, I totally agree. To me, the voter who's moved by this probably voted for Romney in 2012 and McCain in 08. And they just don't like Trump or they think Trump's a joke. That's why, if you know, we talked about the ABC News Washington Post poll the other day where it had Hillary as a 12 point lead a week and a half ago and now it's a three point lead. But her percentage hasn't changed. Right. She went from 51 to 49. That's negligible, guys. Trump's number is moving up. Why? Because you're starting to see Republican leaning undecideds are coming home as we get closer to election but day. If there was a fail safe, doesn't the polling now show that uh, millennials are overwhelmingly breaking towards Hillary? Yes. So th- yeah, and, and and the Hispanic vote, you're seeing that, and you're seeing the Hispanic turnout models in Nevada and in Florida, and so yeah. So, so, so millennials to, loving authenticity, maybe not so much. You have to show me what is the composite of the voter who changes right. their mind. You're of course right. All right, when we come back, we're going to look at the Senate because that's an even simpler place to. That's an even simpler race to to nail down. We'll do that here next. Listening to Steve Dace.
following the truth, no matter where it leads. The Steve Day Show. By the way, for those wondering, where would it have an impact? Back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review, taking our deep dive into the 2016 election. For those wondering, where would an increased Hispanic turnout for, of Hispanics for Hillary Clinton have an impact? Here are the states that have 10% or more of their electorate in, it represents uh, Hispanics. Florida, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, California, Colorado, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey. Those are the states where 10% or more of the electorate are Hispanics. All right, let's take a look at the Senate here, because this is pretty simple. When I take a look at the Senate map, my Senate map, I've got 48 for the Republicans right now, 47 for the Democrats. I'm going to give Florida to Rubio. Even though I've been skeptical about that the whole time, there is just too much data out there that shows he is running demonstrably stronger in that state than Trump and has been for quite some time. Uh, And now you're starting to see a data trend for him like you've seen for Rob Portman in Ohio all along where the Democratic candidate is just so lowly regarded that... There's a lot of uh, split-ticket voters. So I'm going to give that to Rubio. Also, he's in, in surveys, in the data that I've seen, he is dramatically outperforming Trump with Hispanic voters in that state, too. And it's just so weird still. It still perplexes me that Florida was one of uh, Trump's crown jewels in the primaries. And Rubio may end up winning it and Trump yes. may not. That yeah. would be fascinating, now, wouldn't now, it? Now, that should not default as being read that Rubio has redeemed himself that is no, basically no. The that's another status. topic for yeah. another day this is just about the election there this the, the control of the senate's going to come down to five states new hampshire where you have kelly ayat there um going up against uh i think it's hassan is the name hassan, yeah. uh, it's, it's hassan mm-hmm. i maggie hassan i apologize uh pennsylvania where you have mcginty going up against pat toomey Nevada, where you have Congressman Joe Heck taking on Catherine Cortez Masto. Uh, that's three. Um, Indiana is a state to watch. Evan Bayh has led in every survey there over Republican Todd Young. But it is a staunchly Republican state. And Bayh has been leading, but these have been weak leads. And his favorables are not that great. And North Carolina, where you have Richard Burr there trying to hold off Deborah Ross. Those five states, I believe, are going to decide the Senate. So you're not worried about Pennsylvania? And I I think uh, Pennsylvania was in there. Oh, I'm sorry. With Toomey and McGinty. That was the second one I mentioned. So New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Nevada, North Carolina. I would say four of those are absolute 50-50 toss-ups. I think Indiana leans Democratic, but it's still a Republican state. So if you get a, a big hometown turnout for Mike Pence as the running mate, that that there's enough demographic advantage for Republicans there that they could pull an upset over Evan Bayh. So I think those five states are going to decide the Senate. I would agree with that. I've got uh, I've not got uh, nothing to uh, to argue with that. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, if the Republicans actually gain control, they will act like an opposition uh, opposition party. And Todd, I I really think it's fifty fifty on the Senate. I think it's at least eighty percent Republicans will hold the House. I'm starting to creep a little higher than you on the Senate, but. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm wrong. You're listening to Steve Dace.
are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 here tonight at the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up, we're going to talk to one of the people behind this video that has gone viral the past few days called Faith Trumps Fear. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Back here on the Steve Day Show with three questions. That time of the night when our producer Aaron gets to ask the questions around here. He determines the agenda, but not the rules of engagement. He has to answer the same questions that he asks us. That is, his one check and balance. So, Aaron, if you're willing to abide by said rule, you may continue. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Uh, for question one. Today is Reformation Day, the 499th anniversary of that time, a plucky monk posted his 95 theses on the door of the uh, Wittenberg Castle Church, questioning the Catholic Church for what he saw as errors and false doctrine. If you had your 95 theses moment, you had a moment in time that you could shake the ground with something you said or wrote, what would you try to communicate and to whom? Oh, boy. (laughs) Cue up the M&M. You got one shot, uh, one chance to blow. Um, <laughs> Our audience is big on the M&M, I know. Yes, <laughs> and you rhymed. Nice. Um, if you're going, if I'm going to present an argument based on Chris, Christian teaching for why I'm taking the position on something I'm taking, and you claim to be a Christian as well, but you disagree with me, which you're free to do, I'm not the Bible. I'm not a bishop. I'm not the Pope. I don't speak for the church. Okay, but I don't think it's too much to ask that when I base what I'm saying off of something in the scriptures or in traditional church teaching, that when you go to disagree with me, you do the same. I that's you know, can we stipulate to that? Can that be? I mean, essentially, what was Luther's first of his 95 theses? If I could summarize it was all the Christian life is a life of repentance. This would be my number one. If we're going to have a discussion, a a debate, and if you're going to disagree with me, that's fine. But if I am basing my position that you disagree with off of something blatantly from the Scriptures or something that is long to be understood as the Church's position on, on something through history, if you disagree with me, do the same. That would be my, that would be the number one message I think I'd like to convey, Todd. And you were also asking about a possible moment in time. 
Not necessarily a possible moment in time, but if you if that t- moment in time came up where you just had the opportunity to say something that totally shook sure. shook the uh, for uh, you know the foundations of the earth, well, or something what, like what that. went through my head when you asked the question was back uh, before you started with us, Aaron. But I remember you, me, and Rebecca, Steve, sitting in that room when we got the news about uh, the fact that Congress was going to punt on uh, fighting the, uh, the Planned Parenthood videos. And I, just, I felt the devil in the room with us and wondered where in God's name are the, the prophets? Where are the ones saying absolutely not? So uh, that, that to me was a very much a 95 thesis moment, and that has formed much of my core in the way I've thought about everything in this election cycle. Of course, the 99, or 95 theses uh, were written at a time when, when people actually cared what the church had to say, when uh, people actually cared about spiritual things, and because we're living in such a postmodern culture, um, people, if you were to go up to a church and you were to start, uh, or you were to go up to a, a government building and start nailing in your, um, your, uh, uh, what you had to say, your 95 theses, if you will. Give people, it a few weeks, Aaron. Yeah, people, it's coming. People will just say, okay, that's nice. And, and nobody cares. So I think, I think probably what I would start with is uh, saying something or writing something. There is no king but King Jesus. Man is sinful. You are man and you need Jesus. Something like that. Question two comes from a listener, David Doucet, who asks, What do you consider friendly fire to be as it relates to Christians correcting other Christians? He writes down four options. Wrong and caustic in their delivery. Wrong even though loving. Right but just unloving. Right and loving but it's none of their business or something completely else. Something completely else. I don't think it can fit in any of those boxes. There's plenty of times the scriptures are provocative to something that in our day and age we would not consider to be loving or would consider to be caustic. Um, I'm going to reiterate what I just said. I'm going to repeat that. If I have taken a position on something that, and I am citing the scriptures or some traditional understanding of the church's position on an issue through the course of time in history, and you disagree with me, fine. But do not disagree with me with your hot take, with your opinion, yeah. with well, if we had, if, if there were, if if there, if you, if, if with burning building analogies or kids drowning in well analogies, what are your? I don't, I don't care what your utilitarian hyperbolic uh, hypotheticals are. Respond in kind, all right? If I'm leading with something that is based on either church tradition or a clear understanding of what the scriptures teach, if you want to disagree, then respond in kind. And the fact that I've given the same answer to two different questions clearly indicates this is a bee in my bonnet tonight, Todd. And forevermore, quote the raven. I think a conversation can be had about all those bullet points, but it feels a little antiseptic to me. Uh, th- th- these conversations need to be at a street level. They need to be dirty. They need. They do need to. Uh, it, it can be used very tritely, but they do. They do need to meet uh, people where they are at. There's a uh, the New Testament. Uh, it's it's not written in the highfalutin Greek. It's written in the Kone Greek. It's the street people's Greek. So I, I think we need to uh, understand that some conversations need to be rough in a way. Because that's where people live. That's what they understand. That's what's going to break through the wall. There's no one way to skin this cat. 
I couldn't agree more uh, with that. I, I was going to go down the lines of yes, some. Uh, I was going to go down the line of, of most conversations when talking about Christian doctrine. Um, you know, maybe need to be rough. Uh, iron sharpens iron, and all of that. Uh, but I do agree. I mean, you have to take it by a, a, a case by case basis. You have to recognize that there are some Christians who are at a different point in their faith than others. Uh, but I, I absolutely agree with with you too, Steve. That if we're gonna if we're going to have a theological debate, um, why why not use what theology is based off of, and you know actually do that. By the way, if you have a question for the three questions segment, send it my way, Aaron at stevedays dot com. Question three: At what point is it too early to start listening to Christmas music, and when should one cease listening to Christmas music every year? Well, I am in uh, just as I am a self-appointed uniform czar of uh, sports teams. I am a self-appointed Christmas slappy. So I, I'm going to designate myself the proper authority to answer this question. <laughs> you haven't given Aaron the memo yet of when he needs to start playing Christmas bumper music oh, yet. I, I on, I our show, on our show, we we officially start playing Christmas bumper music the Monday after Thanksgiving. However, any point in time beginning tomorrow, following Halloween, is officially Christmas season uh also you're free to to plug away also during sporadic times like christmas in july they used to christmas in july sales when we were kids so i don't know you don't see too much of that anymore i don't know if they still do that or not holidays in july yeah okay i'm sorry whatever that is so i mean sporadically if if you're in the mood you know our my, my kids have picked up the christmas music the christmas slappy so sometimes in the summertime every every couple of months or something i'll come home from work and my daughter my oldest will be doing chores around the house and and she's in the mood for christmas music so she'll have some playing on on the pandora so sporadically throughout the year is fine but officially it begins november one and it depends and, and i'm okay if you want to play it well into um uh, you know the end of the advent calendar which i think is what first or second week of january correct tom correct okay so you want to play it all the way through the advent season i think that's perfectly okay as well yeah that's important but i i would say that the day after Thanksgiving. I, I, I'm, these aren't fighting words to me or anything like that. You're but, fired. <laughs> or they are. Uh, but I, I like it. It's like when we were kids and we played multiple sports. You could feel the time when you put the football down and you picked up the baseball glove or something like that. It just, to me. There is no Thanksgiving season. Thanksgiving is a meal. Christmas has a season. All right. And there is no Thanksgiving season. Thanksgiving. I, I will defer to the slappy. I, my, my personal feelings, November 1st. Well said. You can stay. Thanks. You're listening to Steve Dace. So that the world may know. This is Steve Day. I'm something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? We talk about something else. Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. And this is the nightly buzz. Before we go back, take a look at some of the headlines we didn't have time to get to during the rest of the show. Based off what is the buzz on your social media at your water cooler, as reported via the headlines here from our producer, Aaron, we respond with the hot takes. And I want to go back a postscript on the conversation we just had. Right. 
nobody like post on Facebook November 14th, man, I'm just sowing the Thanksgiving season right now. Nobody does that. Nobody go grabs a butterball like November 13th and they're like, you know what, man, I'm just in the mood for some Thanksgiving and his plops went in. Nobody does that. There is no Thanksgiving season. There is no. There, Thanksgiving is a meal. There is no Thanksgiving season. Which in no they, way is a proof text for the fact that it is the Christmas season on November 14th. At the very least, it stipulates that it is an option should you choose to partake. I, I think there is a Thanksgiving season. It lasts four days from Thanksgiving through Sunday after Thanksgiving. Uh, basically, the, the time when you're hungover from eating all the food. And by the way, the the event that sort of kicks Thanksgiving weekend off is the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Amen. Parade. Yep. And the culmination of the parade that everybody waits for is what? Santa Claus. Yes. The, which signifies the beginning of? Christmas season. So even then, even though that's their day, that's the day, the culmination of the day is the acknowledgement of Christmas. I rest my case. Thank you. Understood. Uh, First story, the Obama administration announced a rule last week that threatens to strip federal contracts from religious relief organizations and charities that adhere to traditional views of gender and sexuality, continuing a trend of governmental hostility towards religion. National Security Advisor Susan E. Rice said the rules prohibit organizations that contract with the U.S. Agency for International Development from discriminating on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity in the administration of aid. The United States, uh, Ms. Rice said, the United States also needs to do more to institutionalize efforts to promote LGBT rights. She made those uh, comments in a speech at American University last week. Uh, this is just the next step in what's been coming down the pike for quite a while, mm-hmm. and I, there is a, I think there is a group of people that are like that are that are going to play a, a large role in determining the future of religious liberty in this country. You know who it is? Minority churchgoers. I think if you're a minority churchgoer, it is it's that if you're in that block of people, the future of the First Amendment in this country is likely in your hands. Because it is very clear, because of political partisan lines, the, the Democrats just aren't going to listen to white churchgoers. In fact, they view them as an enemy constituency, and I can't necessarily blame them because the feeling is mutual. The only debate would be who started it. I mean, there's, there's no question that is the, the current—anybody want to debate that's the current state of things? White churchgoers, by and large, view the Democratic Party as the enemy— um, not totally. You know, I mean, the majority of, of white Catholics, the majority of white Protestants view uh, the Democratic Party that way. Not all, but we would both agree it's a majority, or we'd yes. all three agree, a majority of, of white churchgoers in those camps Sadly. do. Okay. So who knows who started it, whether we started it with them or they started it with us. That is the, and I'm not old enough to know the answer to that question. I just know it is the state of play. The state of play is the Democratic Party views white churchgoers as the uh, white churchgoers who actually believe what the church is teaching they are an enemy constituency and those white churchgoers view the democratic party as an enemy party so there's so there's 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 not going to be any accommodation on that front no understanding no uh, you know no can i get my religious conscience clause uh none of that's going to happen so i think this is largely going to rest the future of the first amendment in our day barring revival 
If we see revival in our culture, that obviously is a transcendent experience. Barring that, I think, Todd, the issue lies in the, the fate of this issue lies in the hands of minority churchgoers who are either, you know, one of the core constituencies of the Democratic Party in the case of blacks or in the case of Hispanics, one of one of their most friendliest uh, constituencies. Those groups are going to have to go to the Democratic Party and say, this dog ain't going to hunt. We, this is not this is verboten. You're not allowed to go here. You're not allowed to do this. Um, and and they're, they're just this is just outside the rules of engagement. Um, and if, if and if they're not willing to do that, then it's highly unlikely that this issue will be uh, that the First Amendment will be saved or preserved for our children and grandchildren, regardless of this election. Even if you bother, even if you mind to beat Hillary Clinton in this election, Trump has shown. I mean, look at North Carolina. That is a state Trump has to win. And in that state, the Republican Party is actually fighting on something cultural. When was the last time we saw that? Anywhere. Almost never. So in a state he has to win with the Republican Party actually fighting on an issue, Todd, he has been MIA. So even if you beat Hillary Clinton this time, he's not gonna, he's, it's not like he's going to pick up the—he he, he won't fight against us, I don't think. But it's not like he's going to fight for us either. And, and chances are, if you win with Trump this time, they'll just run a younger, better-looking— version of Bernie Sanders four years from now and and kill him in the 2020 election and we're right and we're right back here in the first that we're what we're talking about right now anyway I remember a while back you months and months ago you asked what we thought uh, Obama was going to do in terms of a big push on a big issue and I think shortly after this election is over towards uh meeting the carrying out the goals of this policy i think we are going to see uh it put into practice something on the uh, confronting re- religious freedom very hard that is going to for- force the minority churches or somebody to act sooner rather than later between the time he's out of office and after this election i don't i don't think he's going to be just sitting around i mean we already talked about how many people he's uh and we agreed with on some level how many people he was released from prison he's going to be busy uh, last story for the Nightly Buzz. The biggest business story in American pol- or sports uh, this fall isn't the declining NFL ratings or anything that's happening on the field, court, or ice. It's actually the collapse in ESPN subscribers, which reflect a larger trend in the collapse of cable subscribers in general. Yesterday, uh, or I think uh, recently, I should say, Nielsen announced its uh, subscriber numbers for November 2016. And those numbers were the worst in the history of ESPN's existence as a cable company. The worldwide leader in sports lost 621,000 cable subscribers. What month was this? Uh, this is uh, this is for November, so this is looking ahead for November. Okay, for this coming month? Co- uh, correct. Yep. It's on the books? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that's the most subscribers ESPN has ever lost in a month, according to Nielsen estimates. And technically, I was one of those people, too. Well, and, and keep in mind that this would be during the money season. Yeah, starting yeah. getting ready, starting up the NBA, which has become a highly rated enterprise on ESPN. Uh, of course, it's football, college football, which is the the the, the printing press uh, for an ESPN. There's a couple things at play here. Um, one is cultural. I mean, there's just other options to obtain this programming. But I, whatever, I, I don't know. I also think becoming the Colin Kaepernick is America Channel. Is a, it's an issue here. I don't think it's the sole cause, but I certainly don't think it's helping their cause either, Todd. 
I completely agree. You you can't get uh, watch ESPN anymore without feeling like you're being condescended to on some level, yeah. and that's frustrating for viewers. A- anytime I hear the musical logo for uh, Sports Center, it's time to change the channel. You're listening to Steve Dace. Your Daily Truth Project. This is Steve Dace. Well, we played the audio to this video last week. We posted it up on our Facebook wall as well. And last I checked, it was well over 400,000 views on Facebook, and it's called Faith Trumps Fear. Paul Hastings is a spokesperson for the group that put this video that's now gone viral out there. He joins us here tonight on the Steve Day Show on the Salem Radio Network. Paul, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Paul, give me give our audience a little bit of your background. Who are you? How did you get connected with this? Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, uh, I'm from Texas. I grew up here my whole life. And uh, earlier this uh, election cycle, I was looking around like in June, and I just realized, like, oh, my goodness. Donald Trump has just become the Republican nominee. How could this possibly have happened? And uh, during the primaries, I was a big Trump, uh, I'm sorry, I was a big Cruz fan and uh, had, was a big fan of what he was doing there. Uh, but, you know, in June, looked around, it's just unbelievable. And I thought to myself, like, surely Christians aren't going to, like, you know, fall in line and, and follow Donald Trump down the path here. But then sure enough, I mean, as I just looked around, like, you know, conservative Christian leader after leader just like fell down and started following this guy. And so uh, back around maybe two, three weeks ago, uh, you know, a couple of filmmaker friends of mine looked around and we were like, wow, there's a lot of great articles out there from great guys like John Piper, uh, John Maxwell, Max Lucado, uh, Russell Moore, Al Mohler, and Kevin DeYoung. These guys explaining why we as Christians, why we are called to a higher calling than to vote for a man just because he's running against Hillary Clinton. And so there was a lot of great articles about there, uh, but film-wise, there was nothing that really concisely put together the arguments that we wanted to make and explain how we felt. There was nothing that you know did that in three minutes, and so that's why we uh, made the video that we did. Are you surprised by the reaction this has gotten, Paul? Uh, frankly, no, not really. I was expecting a lot of flack for it, and at this point, uh, we've generated over 10,000 comments, at least, I would say, 70% of which are negative. Um, we've received thousands of emails and comments and phone calls uh, in the last two weeks, uh, you know, basically saying that we're terrible people and that we're basically going to send America into the Stone Ages and that babies are going to be aborted because of me and the words that I said and that I'm leading folks astray. So, you know, we, we, we weren't quite anticipating that much vitriol, but, you know, it happened and it's okay. How many people have called or left you messages complaining that actually used Bible verses in context? Uh, zero that I'm aware of. You surprised by that? But they, but they all said they were Christians, right? Uh, they did. They did. Uh, but, you know, I, you know, one of the things that I look at this is, you know, I see people that they're driven by fear. And that was kind of the premise of what we were saying, that most of the folks here, most of the Christians who rationalize their ability to vote for Trump do so either because they say, like, oh, well, you know, Trump, he's a sinner, but everyone else is a sinner. We're electing a president, not a pastor. And, you know, even King David, even he sinned, and he was called a man after God's own heart. 
And they'll use that, you know, the Bible, you know, they'll say that, you know, there's everyone's a sinner. And, and my response to that is that, yeah, for sure, everyone's a sinner. I, I, Paul Hastings, I'm a terrible sinner. You, Steve Dace, you are a terrible sinner. We all are. But at the same time, I don't think that God calls us to glorify a man and his sin who's unrepentant of his sin. You know, King David repented of his sin. That's why he was called a man for God's own heart. Donald Trump is a man who brags about his sin and has never repented of it. One of the things that has perplexed me, to say the least, in this election, and I understand people, and I've said this from the day that Donald Trump became the presumptive nominee, I've said two things on our show, Paul. Number one, that I never thought he would win, and I still don't. Uh, number two, that uh, I, if, if you want to tell me you've you got to vote against Hillary Clinton because she has let it be known that if you make her the president, she will point a metaphorical gun at the church's head, and she has. Let's not kid ourselves. She has done so. I said, if, th- if, that is your, if those are your grounds, you'll get no argument from me. I, I just don't want to see you bastardize and distort what I'm trying to fight for in my career in the process of doing so. Don't turn this guy into a hero. Don't elevate him. Don't make it look like he is heaven-sent or heaven-born when none of those things are true. And lo and behold, what we've watched take place during the course of this election is on one hand, our, our, our brethren tell us that voting for Trump is a functionary choice, Paul, that it doesn't make any difference at all, his character, because we're, he's just a better candidate and it's just who can run the country better. But then the same people who tell us this at the same time tell us that he's Nebuchadnezzar, uh, that he's Samson, that he's Cyrus, that he's Rahab, that the country's toast if we don't elect him. They go, so I'm, I'm, I'm confused, Paul. When we come back, I want you to answer this question for me. On, on one hand, how is this a functionary choice that's really not that big a deal and we're not electing a pastor? But then on the other hand, so often the people voting for Trump have this compulsion to elevate him to superhuman status. And we'll get an answer to that question from Paul Hastings with Faith Trump's Fear in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Where nine black-robed masters don't get to become their own self-appointed constitutional convention. The Steve Day Show. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show with Paul Hastings from Faith Trump's Fear. So, Paul, the question that I led into during the break, if it's just a simple choice of vote against the person who's let it be known, they will target your values if you put them in the White House. And Hillary Clinton has done so. There's no doubt about that. Then, then tell me where this compulsion, if it's just that simple, then where does has this compulsion, this entire election come from that Trump is God's anointed, that he's the same as these great Bible figures, that, that he is, uh, that the, all the hopes of the, of, of, of the future of America rest on his shoulders. Explain then where this temptation is in this compulsion to elevate him to this mythic standard. Where is this coming from? You know, Steve, I think it's really coming from fear. When it boils down to it, I've seen I've seen thousands of comments over the last couple of weeks where people are saying like, "Hey, I'm not voting out of fear, but but Hillary Clinton is so bad, we've got to stop her no matter what, no matter what the cost is." And that's what people are doing. They're saying that they're rationalizing in their brains that, "Oh, Hillary is so bad, we've got to stop her, and Trump is our man." And of course, they're not going to say like, "Oh, Trump is a good guy." 
because you look at him, he's not a good guy, but they've got to rationalize it in their mind. And so, of course, they're looking for Scripture to, to rationalize this, to say that he's a Nebuchadnezzar, or to say that he's, uh, you know, some other biblical figure that, you know, God can use. And I will admit, Steve, I will admit, God could use anybody. And it's totally true. You know, if God allows Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump to win on Election Day, which I most likely believe that, yeah, he's going to have one of those two are going to win, God could still use them. You know, but the same argument that, like, oh, you know, Trump is the God-chosen figure, we could just flip that on its head and say that Hillary is the God-chosen figure, so why resist Hillary? You know, that's what it really boils down to. And, and for us as Christians, you know, God doesn't call us to um, try to out-strategize God or out-figure God. God calls us to obey him. And, you know, I, I just I think of, uh, if you know, Nebuchadnezzar actually is a great example. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are three young guys taken from their Hebrew native land, and they're taken to Babylon, and they're told to bow down before an idol. Except I'm sure they had friends all beside them saying, like, hey, guys, just bow down. You don't have to really worship the idol. Just close your eyes and go through the motions, and, you know, in your heart, you'll still be worshiping God. You won't be worshiping the image. And, and that way, then you can stay alive. To be in the Babylonian government, you can help Nebuchadnezzar appoint good Supreme Court justices. You can make an impact, but but that's not what God wanted these three guys to do. God wanted these three guys to obey Him to the point of death. They told Nebuchadnezzar, they said that, hey, even if this means we have to die, we would rather die than violate our conscience than violate our faith in God, and that's what God calls us to do today. Paul, have you ever you ever studied the book of Nebuchadnezzar? Is there such a book? Uh, no. You ever uh, you ever studied the book of Xerxes? Um, you ever I have st- not. studied the book of Cyrus? No. Nope. What about the book of Rahab? Have you studied that? No. No. Nope. Because I, I see Trump compared to these people, but I, I seem to recall that they're not the heroes. Um, it's the book of Daniel, not the book of Nebuchadnezzar. It's the book of Nehemiah, not the book of Xerxes. That, that, that there's this notion that somehow these pagans just one day decided out of their own free will, you know what, God's going to use me for something good, even though I've never repented and asked him to or gotten involved in a relationship with him or sought his forgiveness. But 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 you mentioned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It, it's the people that God placed around these pagans, I mean, that that caused them to reconsider their positions they're the heroes of the story. Or in the case of Rahab, what does she say? Hey, we saw your God open a can on the nations around us, and we don't want that happening to us, so I'm going with the winning team here. I mean, where is this humility? Where is this recognition and exaltation of God's superiority that out of pagan mouths, like we see in the scriptures, where has that come from Trump this entire campaign, Paul? I don't think I've even heard it. I think it's a it's a shame. I mean, there are so many Christian leaders that have surrounded themselves around Trump and carrying his banner and saying, like, oh, Trump is a Christian. He just became a Christian, and we can follow him, and that he is God's anointed. But, you know, frankly, I look at the last 70 years of Donald Trump's life, and and, and, and I don't sit there. I don't sit there. And, and I'm not claiming to be all pious or all, you know, all seeing or all knowing. I'm a sinner. Steve, you're a sinner. We're all sinners. Everyone listening on the show, we're all dreadful, terrible human center. You know, we're, we're not, we're not, you know, capable of elevating ourselves to God's stats. None of us are perfect. But what I do know is that God does give us, you know, he gives us commands and he tells us what to look for in leaders, right? 
Uh, he, he gives us commands about what to look for in, in terms of leaders of, of churches, but he also tells us what to look for in terms of leaders of government. And, and I think, uh, you know, any student of the Bible would clearly look at Donald Trump and say, yes, he is not. He is not what God would have us to vote for. What is the one criticism of your position on this, Paul, that you struggle with the most? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I can say what the most frequent criticism that I hear is, is the Supreme Court. Christians say, like, oh, man, if we don't stop Hillary Clinton, we're going to lose the Supreme Court, and we're going to lose all these things that we fought for. We're going to lose religious liberty. Uh, babies will be aborted, even in greater droves and numbers. We're going to lose the battle for uh, a biblical marriage and all of these different things. Didn't we already they're lose all these battles? They're going to say we're going to lose all of these battles. But what I say to that is that, you know, look back, look uh, two things. First off, God is sovereign. And that throughout the entire history of the church, we have, we have been persecuted so much more than we've been persecuted in the United States. But the church has still continued to thrive and grow. And don't get me wrong, like, I don't want us to lose religious liberty. These, these are wonderful, wonderful things that God has blessed us with. But God is so much bigger than nine people, nine attorneys on a court. And the second thing I'll say to that is when we place our faith in the Supreme Court, we are destined and guaranteed to be disappointed. I mean, just look at history. Uh, back from 2003 to 2008, George W. Bush was a Republican president. We had a Republican Senate, we had a Republican House, and we had seven Republican members on the Supreme Court. And did we overturn Roe versus Wade? No, right? For four years, everything was in our favor. And did we even begin to remotely overturn? No, not once. Didn't even try. Didn't even try to. Not. Paul, good stuff. Appreciate the video. I like critical thinkers, even in this, you know, I, I agree with you in this case, but even if I don't agree, I like people who are willing to challenge and be contrarian, challenge status quo. So if, if, no, if no other reason, I'm glad so many people are watching your video and discussing it. God bless you, man. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. We'll come back and wrap things up tonight here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Making all the right enemies, Steve Dace. All right, we've come to the end of tonight's show. We spent an entire hour priming the pump here for our audience on the 2016 election. Also went through some of the headlines from over the weekend. So so what did we learn here this evening? And Aaron, I'll start with you. Well, thank you. I learned a couple of things. One, I probably should not have poo-pooed the idea that um, this this latest saga and the Hillary Clinton e- email um, story, I, I probably shouldn't have poo-pooed that as much on Friday because it it is a legitimately huge, um, um, you know, game-changing potential story, and I just thought it wasn't going to be a huge deal. Uh, the other thing that I learned is that um, maybe, just maybe, when, if Hillary Clinton wins the presidency, there will be one portion of government that stands up to her. Maybe. And it's not going to be Congress. I think if those stories that we heard about the FBI getting all rustled because they're not being paying, paid attention to with uh, all of this evidence and all of these charges that they want to bring forth, and maybe that's the reason why we uh, heard this announcement from James Comey, Maybe that was a message being sent to Hillary Clinton or the Clinton administration right now. 
do not mess with us. Maybe, maybe not. Todd, we've learned a lot of things, but uh, we've learned that the press is who we thought they were. Uh, magical, you know, and not at all broken. The, the the way they are trying, and unfortunately, some conservatives are falling for it, constantly talking about Comey. If, when you're talking about Comey, you're not talking about Hillary Clinton. Yeah, that's true. There's how many days until this election? Eight. Focus, people. Focus. Focus on what? Is, is she guilty or not? Turning this into, uh, is Comey guilty? It, it, it makes her innocent. Uh, by default. Well, here's the thing. I don't want to defend Hillary Clinton. I'm not going to. Because of the way all this has been handled, nobody knows who's really guilty of anything. All right? I mean, I think you have to be a mind-numbed, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, lobotomized uh, nerf herder uh, to, to not see that there's prima facie evidence something bad has happened. And what does that mean? That's just a legal term that means there's, there's sufficient evidence to investigate further. All right. But, but this has existed for months, if not longer. And, and only because we're going to do this now in the last week of the election. But, but this is where you have to be careful about and not talking about you specifically, but people in general. She's a felon and things of this nature. You know, words mean things. And. Whatever false partisan standard you set for one side will eventually be used against you. Because, because now what we're going to have is we've got the quintessential FBI makeup make call, where now they're going to investigate Paul Monifert now as well, as we talked about in the opening hour of the show. But this is something they could have... This has been out. This is a story that's been out there for months, too. They could have investigated this months ago. It's, it's not like we found out, guys, on Halloween. Paul Monifert has Russian ties. His last gig was working for Putin in Ukraine. So... The, 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 what's, what's sad about all this, guys, this has all been so partisanized. Nobody really knows what's true anymore. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace. 